I know it's happened already a couple of times, but I want to say welcome as well. Great to see you. If some of you are here for the first time, you're especially welcome. We um, hope that... Let me just say something here that I haven't, didn't say at the first time. If you're here for the first time, okay, I'm not going to embarrass you, but can I say, if you go away this morning, you think, you know what, I didn't really like that church. It was a bit weird. Like, you know, like I had a bad experience. You know, I just didn't like it. Can I say to you, have you ever been out anywhere and had a bad night? Ever been to a football match and had a bad time? Any Albion supporters in the house? So here's the thing. If you've been anywhere, if you've been to the movies and seen a bad movie, you've been to a restaurant, if you've been out and you've had a bad, you go back. Most times you go back. So I want to encourage you, if this is your first time, come back. You might think, oh, I didn't understand everything. That's okay, come back. Come back. Because if you keep coming back, you will find an experience, that something that we've found an experience, which will absolutely change your life. But you've got to come back. You've got to keep pursuing. So if you are a visitor and this is the first time you're here, you're really welcome. We're so glad that you are here. My name's Leon. By the way, I'm the senior pastor of the church, if you don't know who I am. And what I want to do is we're in this series called Follow. Um, and I'm going to just recap it for those of you that haven't been here the last couple of weeks. So we began in week one um, talking about the, the, the words that Jesus said um, often in the Bible. He said, follow me. Okay, he just said, follow me. So many times he just says, follow me, follow me. And that word follow keeps coming back time and time again in the Bible. Jesus says, follow me. And we looked at the invitation uh, the first week. And uh, basically Jesus invites us into that process of following him. Now here's the thing. Religion says change and then you can join. But Jesus says join and you will change. So many people have grown up in church or not in church and they think that being a Christian is all about believing the right things and behaving the right way and then you can join. But here's the amazing thing that we learned a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said to some of those early followers of him, come and follow me. They didn't necessarily believe in him, but they still followed him. Belief often came later, which is quite radical, I know. And then behavior came. And Jesus says, if you follow me and if you enter into a relationship with me, over time, you will come to believe some things and you will come to believe, behave certain ways. But don't get confused. Belief and behavior are not prerequisites to following Jesus. You just got to start following him. And you might say this morning, well, I'm not a Christian. And you might say, well, I don't believe in. Yeah, but what about Adam and Eve? And what about this? And what about dinosaurs and all that? Great, loads of great, really important questions. You don't have to believe everything we believe in order to follow Jesus. You just have to follow him. And as you follow in him, he's going to work in your life. And you will come to believe certain things. And you will come to behave certain ways. But it won't be through religion, which is your effort. It'll be through relationship with him. And we said that what we're going to look at in this series is two big questions. And here's the questions. Are you a fan or are you a follower? There's a big difference between the two. And the second thing is, if you are a follower of Jesus, are you still following? So again, we're trying, we're trying to make this accessible to those of you that perhaps aren't yet Christians, those of you that are new Christians, and some of you have been Christians for a long time. The challenge to you guys and me is, am I still following? Not have I followed but am I following? It's a verb. It's, a, it's an active thing. Am I still following? That's what we looked at in week one. Then last week, we looked at the fact that the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to a relationship with him. And we looked at three pictures in the Bible, the sheep and the shepherds. And we said, you know, in relationship with God, you can hear his voice. We explored that last week. The vine and the branches. When you're in relationship with Jesus, you can know his power at work in your life. 
like a vine connected to a, a, a branch connected to a vine. Then the third one was the picture of the Father and the Son. You can know the embrace of God. You can know what it is to be loved by God. That's what we looked at last week. And what I want to do today is to ask ourselves a question. What's the evidence that someone is a follower? How do you know that someone's not just a fan, okay? In other words, they know all about the person and they've got the t-shirt and the, and the scarf and all that. They're a fan, they're not a follower. Because a fan knows all about someone, but a follower really knows that someone. So what's the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus? And there are two things I want to talk to you about this morning. One's a little longer than the other, um, but hopefully neither will be too long for you. But the first thing is this. You will know someone's a follower of Jesus by the clothes that they wear. And we're going to have a little bit of fun with that this morning, okay? So I want to put some pictures up and you tell me, who are these guys and girls following? Who do they follow? Speak up, interactive participation. Sikhism, they follow the religion of Sikhism, yeah? This is like a world religion exam for you this morning. Second one. Muslims, yeah, all knew that. Haven't said anything? You haven't heard anything? Third one, just can you wait till I say to the next one? Okay, the, the, the third one. No, all right, third one. <laughs> you're not following here, Merlin, you're not following, do you know what I mean? You followed in the first service, but it's all about what's happening now, okay? Just joking. Who are these guys followers of? Buddhism. Okay, the next one. Judaism. And the fifth one. Hinduism. Okay. Now, st- stop there, Merlin. Stop there. So, all those, those religions, you can see who they follow by the clothes that they wear. What do Christians wear? Some of us wear stuff like this. Some of us even wear stuff like this. Jesus is the original joy story. Now, some of you are thinking, I really like that. And we do have some people here this morning who actually have a business in designing stuff like this, so I don't want to be too offensive. Uh, And that's fine if you want to wear that. But what do some Christians wear? Some Christians even wear stuff like that. And can I tell you, it's totally subjective what you wear, but if you wear that, you're wrong. Okay? And not only are you wrong, you need help. And because we're such a compassionate church, we have a prayer ministry team who will help you to get rid of that issue in your life, okay? So what are some of the clothes we wear? What about, what about the kind of Ned Flanders character from The Simpsons? That's kind of a caricature of what a Christian's like. And then you see his family in the next shot who are all there in their Sunday best. You know, and this whole kind of idea that there are clothes that Christians could wear that would show that they're followers of Jesus, Well, actually, there is a guy in the Bible who says to us that there are clothes that we could and should wear, which would be evidence that we're followers of Jesus. And I want to just tell you about this guy first before I I show you what he wrote. You see, this guy was a really interesting character. He was in one of those uh, uh, pictures there. You'd see he fits into one of those categories. He was a fanatic in terms of the Jewish faith. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a fanatic about Judaism. He was a fanatic about God. But when Jesus came and claimed to be the Messiah and the Son of God, and eventually he died, and then uh, you know, his followers claimed he rose again, and then other people started saying, we're followers of Jesus now. And the early church began to grow. This guy was so fanatical about it that he not only hated them, he hunted them. He hunted them and he killed loads of them persecuted loads of them. He was a fanatic. 
But then one day he had an experience on the road where, where he had this encounter, a supernatural encounter, and God spoke to him and he became a follower of Jesus. He went from a fanatic who hated Jesus followers to a follower of Jesus who then planted, started churches all around the world at that time. And not only that, but he wrote letters that we've still got now that we call part of the New Testament. The guy's name was Paul, okay, if you don't know who that was. And, and when Paul uh, went, went around that kind of part of the world and, and all these early churches, groups of followers began to, 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 to appear, he realized that there's something like a gravitational pull inside every human being that pulls you towards religion. So even if you have a relationship with God, there's something that pulls you to keeping the rules and keeping the laws. And he wrote against that and said, you've got to watch that. You've got to watch that. And one of those groups of uh, uh, Christians were called the Colossians. And in the letter that's written to them called Colossians, which is in the New Testament, he writes these words. So it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14. The words will come up here. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow with us. Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here it is, clothe yourselves. So there are clothes that followers are going to wear. Clothe yourselves with, and here they are, not sandals and white socks, okay? Not that, but with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, some of you who've been Christ followers for a long time, you know these words really well. You heard them in Sunday school. You've heard lots of talks about these words. But I want to I show you in a slightly different way uh, what these words really mean. And so I'm going backstage. Don't worry, I'm coming back. And we've got like a clothes horse stand. I don't know what you call that. There you go. And we've got some clothes here that Paul talks about. So Simon is going to help me. So a little round of applause for Simon. Thank you very much. So if you want to stand right there, Simon, and hopefully people can see it. So now I'm going to go through all of these clothes that Paul says we should put on. And, and, and the phrase that he uses in the original language, the original Greek language, is literally that. You, you clothe yourself, you put them on. Now, there's some definitions I'm going to give you, and they're not original to me. They're from a guy called Andy Stanley, who's a pastor and leader and author in the States. But he says it so well, I, I really want to pass these definitions on. And the first one that Paul talks about is compassion. So he says that as followers of Jesus, we should clothe ourselves. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. I thought that was your ear. Was it your glasses? <laughs> okay. We should clothe ourselves with compassion. They're all still there. In case you can't see them there. Okay, just don't step too far forward. Now, there's a response in our culture which really worries me right now. I don't see a lot of compassion in our world. I don't see a lot of that in our society right now. Do you know what? I think we're in a real compassion fatigue era. And I know that when you see the reaction to programs like Benefit Street. And I don't want to get all political on you this morning, but, but have you ever any watched, anyone watched Benefit Street or are you the only people in the, in the country that haven't watched it? No, a lot of you have. Now, I've watched some of that and I watched the whole of the episode this week and I've heard other people talk about it and the vitriol and the thing about, and the, and the, the disparagement about people that they say, I'm just like, there's no compassion. And, and you know, the other thing is I was listening on the radio this week to Radio WM, to our local radio station, if you're not from this area. And... Um, I love listening to that radio station. I love the accents. I love the, the banter and all of that. And there was a politician who was on there with, on a phone. And I won't tell you who this ex-politician was, okay? But her surname rhymes with Murray and her first name is Edwina. But I'm not going to tell you who it is, all right? So, so, and and she, she's on and she's 
absolutely slaughtering food banks. And the way she's talking about them on this, I'm so incensed because I'm like, oh my goodness. If I wasn't going somewhere, I'd have pulled over and I'd have phoned in. Because, because the, the, the lack of compassion to people was frightening. And, and I look at that, and, and you know, when I watched Benefit Street this week, here's the interesting thing. There was a focus on, on, on a lady who's a lone parent, bringing up a kid on her own, wants to be a model, used to be a model, want, can't get work, is on benefits, is desperate for a kid to, to be educated and to have some role models. And the church, the local church, this is in Winston Green in Birmingham, the local church sent people in to sit and to read with this lad because they said he needs a father figure in his life. It's the church. There was another family on Benefit Street and they didn't have any food and they went to the food bank which was run by a church. And I looked at it and I thought, that's compassion. That's compassion. We've lost so much compassion in our culture and in our world. And Paul says you should clothe yourselves with compassion. And here's the definition of compassion, the best I've ever heard. Let me, before I say it, you see there's a, a famous verse when Jesus looked at a crowd of people. Do you remember that? And the Bible says, when he saw them, they, they looked like they were sheep without a shepherd. And his reaction was not when he saw the crowd, he said, get over yourself. When he saw the crowd, he didn't say, pull yourself together and work harder. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion. Now there's a moment where you come and say, listen, you know, can we do anything different? Do you need to think differently? Is there anything you can do? There's a moment for all that. But his response was compassion. This is what compassion means. Compassion is when I feel others' pain or hurt regardless of what they could have done differently. That's phenomenal to me. You talk about depth. Compassion is when I feel others' pain or hurt regardless of what they could have done differently. And when I watch stuff like Benefit Street, and it's so easy to say, oh yeah, but why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? And there's a place and a time for that. I get that. But compassion is when you feel someone else's hurt or pain regardless of what they could have done differently. And Paul says, this is, this is how you're going to know that someone's a follower. They clothe themselves with compassion. They also clothe themselves with kindness. And what does it mean to be kind? Watch your hair. I don't want to mess your hair up there. Um, <laughs> kindness, here's a great definition. When I loan my strength to someone else. When I loan my strength to someone else. It's kindness. You know, it's, it's God's kindness, the Bible says, that's drawn us to repentance. It's God's kindness. God's loaned his strength to us to draw us to himself. Kindness is when we loan our strength to someone else. There's another one which is a really interesting uh, one. This is humility. Historians, not Bible teachers, but regular historians, believe that Christians, early followers of Jesus, literally invented humility. In other words, humility wasn't known as a virtue in the ancient world. You were considered like, that's weird. Like Nobody was humble. Because it was, the whole thing was about power and control, masters and servants and slaves and all that. And these early followers of Jesus came along with humility and lived out their lives. And humility is not feeling all bad about yourself. Humility is literally, here's the definition, seeing yourself as you really are. Paul, in another part of the Bible, says, not too low and not too high. Not greater than you are and not lower than you are. As you are, as God defines you, that's humility, living out of that. And then there's another one here. And again, this is such a stereotype word for, for Jesus followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you, you'll think about this. You think, oh yeah, Christians, they're, they're supposed to be gentle and they're, they're like soft and they're, they're weak and they're pushovers. But interestingly, the original word for gentleness, it, it also it, it, the concept of a wild horse that is tamed and the power of that animal is not lost, but it's under control. 
So gentleness is about power that's come under control. And here's the definition. Gentleness is a decision to respond, not out of my strength, but how the other person is. In other words, when I'm in a situation and and, and there is strength and power there, I'm going to choose not to gear up, but to gear down. To connect with that person, to be gentle, to go where that other person is, not necessarily the power that I might have. It's power, but it's under control. And then there's patience. How many of you love this one? I don't, I have to be honest, this is one of my, one of my many, in fact, all of these are my weak areas, but to be honest, but patience, def- it's just like a list of me here, or I'm not, but patience, and here's a great definition of patience, deciding to go the speed of the other person. Simple, but it's profound, isn't it? Deciding to go the speed of the other person. Yeah, you could go faster, but you decide to put on a different set of clothes. You decide to clothe yourselves with patience, which means I'm going to go at your pace. Not at my pace. And then Paul says something really interesting to this church. He says, he says um, and then he talks about bearing with each other. And then he says the big, the F word, forgive. Forgive. What should mark us as Christians is the ability to forgive. And there's so much we could say about this. But let me just read one quote to you from a lady called Corrie Ten Boom. She, if you don't know who she was, The Hiding Place is her autobiography. You have to read it. It's just a great book. I read it again just a year or so ago. You have to read it. It's a brilliant book. And she's in, uh, a Jewish lady. Uh, who, who, her and her sister and her family are in the concentration camps, Second World War, all of that. Her sister dies there. She comes out of the prison, becomes a speaker, talking about forgiveness and the ability to forgive people who've hurt you. She says this, Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Wow. And Paul says, clothe yourself with these kind of things. But then he says something really interesting. And he says this, and over all these virtues, these are virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. And the way that the words are written there in the original language is it's like an overcoat. It's like going to put an overcoat and the overcoat is called love. And it kind of goes on over all of them. And it kind of provides that, if you like, that one kind of wraparound thing, which says, and over all of that, put on love. So, what's the evidence that you're a follower of Jesus, not a fan? It's not how much you know. It's not how much you know. And knowledge is a great thing, but it's not how much you know. It's not how many spiritual gifts you are, or how powerful you are in spiritual gifts. Because in 1 Corinthians 13... Paul says, listen, you know, you could, you, could prof- you could speak in tongues, you could prophesy, you can do all these. But that's not the evidence that you're a real genuine follower of me. The evidence that you are a genuine follower of Jesus over time is how you love people. How you love people. Jesus says in John 13 verse 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples or my followers if you love one another. In 2004, in the Olympics, there was a 50-meter rifle competition. And a guy called Matt Emmons, an American guy, was was in pole position to win gold. He came to the last shoot. He didn't even have to get a bullseye. He just had to hit the target, and he'd get a gold. And the story goes that what happened was he hit the target with a really good shot, but it was the wrong target. He was standing in lane two, and for some reason, he shot the target in lane three. So even though it was a great shot... And he didn't even need to hit the bullseye. He just needed to hit the target. He didn't get gold. He came eighth. 
Shows you how far ahead he was because he got nothing for that. And I wonder how many of us as Christians, who people who say we're followers, sometimes live our Christian life shooting at the wrong target. We think it's about how much I know. It's about all this. It's about all these things. And you know what Jesus says? No, by how much you love will determine whether you're a genuine follower or not. And knowledge is important. And spiritual gifts are important. That's all part of it. But how you're going to be measured is by how over time you love. Thank you, Simon. You can get out of that because that must be hot, mate. Thank you very much. Give us a little round of applause for Simon. Thanks, mate. So, question I got for you is this. How do we do that? That's all well and good. How do we do that? How do we get up every morning? And, and, you know, when you go into work or wherever you go in the morning, you get up and you think, what shall I wear? What shall I wear? Ever had that one? Yeah, you have. Some of you seriously have. Uh, And we think, what am I going to wear? How do we do this? How do we do it? And here's the question I'm thinking... And I know you're thinking this as well. How do I do it without it feeling like effort and religion and rule keeping? And then here's the other one some of you are saying. You are. How do I do it with my personality because I am such a type A person? Anyone thinking like that? You're thinking, how on earth am I going to be compassionate and patient and gentle and forgiving? It's just not how God's made me to be. And God has made me like this, so it's all right for me to be like this, isn't it? Because that's who I am. And God says, no, it's not okay for you to be like that. And here's the thing. What makes these words so powerful to me? is who wrote them. Because the Apostle Paul, let me give you some revelation, okay, was not a gentle, retiring, introverted character. In fact, historians again reckon that the Apostle Paul was one of the most intelligent people who's ever been on the planet. He had an incredible IQ. He was very action-oriented. He was very aggressive at times. He was a real leader. If you fell out with Paul, you knew about it. He was a real type A personality. And yet he writes... Put on compassion, put on gentleness, patience, clothe yourselves with forgiveness and humility and over all these things, put on love which binds them all together. So it's got to be possible and here's something I want you to think about. The less like these things we actually are, the more noticeable they become. So actually if you say this morning, oh yeah but I'm not a patient person and that's me, but the more I clothe myself with patience, the more noticeable it becomes. To my wife or to people around me. And all of a sudden, wow, you're being really patient. How are you doing that? Not actually being that patient, but for me, I really am. And the, more, the less like these things you are, the more noticeable they become when you clothe yourself with them. You see, if you don't do this, guys, then what will happen is as follows of Jesus, you'll say, oh, I can't be bothered with all that. I'm going to wear some other clothes. I, I, I'm going to wear other clothes that mark me out as a follower. I know what, I'm going to stand against these people and I'm going to pick it against these people and I'm going to decry these people and I'm going to stand up for this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And do you know what? You're not a, a follower, you're a fan. Because a fan wants to make a point, but a follower wants to make a difference. And we're not going to make a difference in our community by being all vitriolic and telling everybody else how wrong they are. We're going to make a difference in this community when we live out Christ. And when we live out who Jesus is. And when we don't judge. And when we do get involved. And when we do meet meet people where they are and say, do you know what? I know life's tough for you, but let me walk with you. Let me get in your shoes for a bit and help you to kind of find a way out and a different way of doing it. That's how we're going to make a difference. If you want to be a fan, then you go ahead and make a point. But a follower wants to make a difference. And when you put on these clothes and when you learn how to do it, it's like, say, God, could you do that through my unique personality? That's the filter is through my personality. See, the Apostle Paul, massive type A, aggressive leader, had to learn what it was to use to clothe himself with those things through his unique personality. We have to do the same. 
And we do it out of relationship. And we do it by choosing to clothe ourselves with those things, but then by relying on the power of the Spirit within us to help us and give us the power to do it. And when we do this, guys, here's a phrase I want you to think about. When we do that, we are all dressed up and we have somewhere to go. We have a world to go to and we are all dressed up in the right kind of clothes. But there's a second uh, thing that's connected to that, but slightly different as well. You know that someone's a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower this morning, this might help you to understand what a follower of Jesus should be like. Because sometimes we're not. And all we can do is apologize. You know, we're human. But this is what we should be like. This is what we're aiming at. By the clothes we wear, and secondly, by the choices that we make. You see, a follower, over time, evidences they are a follower by the choices they make. Now, you can't choose all the time what happens to you, but you can always choose your response. A fan, all right, to a fan, Jesus is just one of many voices and influences in their life. There's Jesus. What does Jesus think? Yeah, okay. What do my friends think? What does Facebook say? What does Twitter say? What does the media say? What does a pop star say? What does culture say? But to a follower, Jesus is not one of many. Jesus becomes... Remember that song? It was his one and only. Chesney Hawks, I am the one and only. Anyone remember that? Takes you back a little bit to the mid-80s, doesn't it? And you see, this is the amazing thing. It's like genuine followers come to a place where Jesus to them is there. He's not one of many. He's one and only. And you know, our young people, and some of you guys who are young adults, but actually it's beyond that now. We're growing up in a culture of pick and mix living. Which means that you know, I'll take a little bit of Jesus, but I'll take a little bit of this, and I'll take a little bit of that, and I'll take a little bit of that, and I'll put it all together, and it will give me what I want. And I'll deal with that, because I don't like that bit about Jesus, but I really like that bit. I really like that bit. As long as it's not the sandals, all right? But I really like that, and I really like that, but I don't like that. So I'll leave that, and I'll take that. That's how we're, that's how we're growing. That's how we're living. Where Jesus is one of many. But that's fan. Follower gets to a point where over time, Jesus becomes their one and only. And that's reflected in the choices that that person makes. Now that can be around three areas. It can be around decisions. So it's like, when I'm going to make a decision, any decision, is it going to be because of what Jesus would want me to do? Or is it how I feel? Or is it what my friends say? Or is it what culture says? So my sexuality, is that defined by what, what the soaps say? Or is it defined by what Jesus would say? You know, what are my decisions going to be? What choices am I going to make? What about my priorities? See, a priority is when you've made a decision and you've made it into a foundation in your life. You've made it into a pattern. You've set it as a pattern. They become things you build on. I want to give you a few. I think these are really important, guys. Foundations for you. If you say you're a follower of Jesus. See, see there are, I've been thinking about this. What are my foundations as a follower of Jesus? Let me give you a few. Firstly, giving. See, that, that's where you make a choice to say, do you know what? All of the finance that I have in my life, which isn't loads, is a gift from God. It all belongs to Him. And I want to make sure that that isn't what governs my life, but that he is the one and only. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to commit to give to God through the local church, percentage of my income every month, regardless of what. The rest of the money I have is still open to God to direct me. It's not mine. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's connected to where your heart is. And for me, my heart wants to be connected to Jesus, who is my one and only, not to money. So giving becomes a foundation. It becomes a priority. Gathering together becomes a priority. Gathering together with believers, often on a Sunday, but not only on a Sunday, kind of at least once a week, is a great foundational priority decision to make. 
I want to speak into this for a little bit. We're growing up now, uh, uh, living, sorry, many of us have fully grown up. We're living uh, in a community and in a world where there's so much choice, isn't there? There's so many options that you can do on a weekend. So yeah, you've got a church, but you know what? There's this film you could watch, or you could go to this outdoor activity, or you could go and do that, or you could go and do the other, and you could go and do the other. Loads of choices. If Jesus is your one and only, you're going to make a decision to say, do you know what? I'm going to prioritize gathering together. Still going to do all that other stuff, but I'm going to make that a priority in my life. And can I speak to you, those of you who are parents who've got small kids? I've heard this a few times recently where people said, you know what? I'm not going to go to church this week because actually we need family time. When you make that statement, you make a massive value statement that you may not be aware of. You say that church isn't family time, but it is. Even when you bring your kids and they go to one thing at the back and your youth go to another and you go here, it's still family time, guys. Because that you're coming together, they're experiencing God and community together, you go back together, you talk about what happened. If you make that statement to say, do you know what, we're going to do family time, which often for families these days can mean you sit in the same room but you're on different screens. Okay, so let's get it clear in our heads. If you say that as a statement, you are making a statement and you are sowing into your kids and family a value. And you're saying, do you know what, church is okay, but it isn't really that important. We haven't seen, let's go out to the park for the day. Go to church as family time, then go to the park. It's really quite simple. And by doing that, what we do is we set a priority in the lives of our kids. And we say, because Jesus is not one of many. Jesus is our one and only. Serving, very similar. Lifestyle, the way that I live my life. You know, fans are like football fans, you know, fans of Jesus. They're what someone's called enthusiastic duelists, which is a very big phrase, but it basically means this. See, I went up to to the villa on Wednesday, and I I promised that I wouldn't mention it. But, you know, I've broken out there. And as I went, I took a friend of mine who's from this church. He was a massive Albion fan. He's never been to the villa, so he's never been to a proper ground. But um, as we... No, 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 sorry. Sorry. So... And the interesting thing is, when you go through the turnstiles, people can change. You know, and all of a sudden, they're very quiet. And they go through the turnstile, they become this different creature. Then they walk out through the turnstile, and they become a different creature. Fans of Jesus are like that. When they're in this kind of space, or they go to Soul Survivor, which is a big Christian event, they're all this, oh God, you're my everything, you're my everything. Then they go out of that, and it's bang. God who? Jesus who? We've got to wake up. We've got to say, I don't want to be a fan. Where Jesus is just one of many. God, I want to be a follower. Where Jesus is my one and only. And over time, over time, that's what's going to happen. Third thing I want to say, it's the final thing, is our reactions. Where do you instinctively go when life gets tough? That will determine whether Jesus to you is a fan, whether you're a fan or whether you're a follower. Where do you go? You see, followers over time instinctively go to Jesus. So where, do you, where or who do you turn to for comfort? Is it work? Is it the fridge? Is it shops? Is it sex? Alcohol? Or, or do you go to him? The God of all comfort. Where or who do you turn to when you're in pain? You know, do, do, do you just hold on to that pain and you become like that phrase which says hurt people hurt people? You know, because we're not dealing with it. Or do you go to him who is the healer? The healer of your soul and of your heart. Where or who do you turn to when you're sick? And I'm not saying don't go to doctors. Please go to doctors. Some Christians will say don't do that. We are not that church at all. Medicine is a gift of God. You go to the doctors, but also realize this, that the Bible says that God is our great physician. So we can go to the doctors, that's fine. But we're going to go to him as well, because he's our one and only, you know. It's not saying we won't go to the doctors, but it's saying that we'll go to him. Not as a last resort, but as a first resort. 
Where or who do you turn to when you're in trouble? We tried everything else. So now I ought to pray. Or do you go to him? The Bible says he's a tower and a refuge. Where or who do you turn to when you're confused and need to make a decision? Where or who do you turn to for meaning and purpose, for adventure and risk? Come to Jesus. He is our one and only. So what about you today? How's your wardrobe? <laughs> what about your choices, your priorities? Do, do they need to be looked at? Some of your decision making. Is he your one and only or is he your one of many? And, and you know, right, right uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Peter, who was one of those early followers who, who left his nets. He was a fisherman to follow Jesus. Three years later, it's all a different story. Many of you know the story. See, Peter was a really kind of type A personality as well. He found it hard to do all this kind of stuff. And he said, Jesus, I'm never going to let you down because you are my one and only. But he did let him down badly. And then Jesus was crucified and the dream was over and he was dead and buried. And Peter went back to fishing. But then Jesus rose again. I know, amazing. I ain't got time to talk about all that. He rose again. Incredible. And then he came. He appeared to Peter and he cooked him a breakfast because he's into relationship. And then he said, listen, Peter, I know you let me down badly. But I just got one question for you. Do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know I do. And then he annoyingly asked him exactly the same question again. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, I just told you that. And he annoyingly asked him the same question again. And when we read it, it looks like he asks him the same question three times, but he doesn't. Because in the original language, there were lots of words for love. And Jesus used the word for the highest kind of love, the agape love, where Jesus is your one and only and you'll do anything for him. And Peter said, I used to believe that, but now I don't because I messed up. So he used the word filio, which means friendship love at this level. Peter, uh, Jesus repeats it again and, and Peter says, no, 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 it's this level. But then Jesus amazingly, miraculously changes the word, drops it to his level and says, okay, do you love me at that level then? And Peter says, yes, you know I do, I've been telling you that. So Jesus says, that's all I need, come and follow me again. Peter must have felt so loved in that moment, hadn't he? And here's a phrase that came to me this week while I was praying. You will never love like God unless you are loved by God. So all these things will just be effort and self-help and all that stuff unless you're loved by God and he gives you the power to love like him. And the further away from your personality this is, the more noticeable it will be and the more noticeable God's work will be in your life. But Peter goes to follow Jesus again. And here's the amazing thing. As they're setting off into the sunset and the music's playing and all that and the credits come up at the end of the film, okay, he stops and he says, hang on a minute, what about him? And he points back to another follower called John. Now, Peter, Jesus just told Peter that he was going to die a horrific death. That's basically what was going to happen. But John was going to spend all of his days in exile on an island in the Mediterranean. Okay? And so, so, so Peter says, hang on a minute, I'll follow you, but what about him? And this is what Jesus says to him in John 21. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? In other words, it's none of your business what I'm doing with him. You must follow me. Don't matter what I'm doing to him, you must follow me. So I want to say as we finish, you have an invite from Jesus to a relationship to follow him, the evidence of which over time, through the clothes you wear and the choices you make, will be that you are a follower of Jesus. He is your one and only by how much you love. But you've got to follow him. You've got to follow him. And it may be this morning that there are some of us here in this room and you used to follow him. Jesus used to be your one and only, but now he's not. And you've stopped following. I'm not saying you don't believe, but you've stopped really passionately following him. Jesus says, listen, if you let me love you and, and, and respond and follow me, regardless of all those other people you're pointing your finger at, what about him, what about him, what about her? You must follow me into an incredible adventure of relationship.
Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? In a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to take communion together and I'll explain that in a moment. But before we do that, I want to just give you a moment to respond because I just really sense that there are some of us here and when I went through that list of where do you turn to when, I believe some of you are in, that, in those spaces right now. So where do you turn to when you need comfort? Perhaps you need comfort right now. And, you, and even as I said that, and as I said, like, do you go to the fridge? Or some of you think, yep, that's me, that's me. But right now, many of you are saying, but I don't want to be like that. I want to be a follower. So I want my reflex reaction and response to be, I go to God, I go to Jesus, not the fridge. Where do you turn to when you're in trouble? Some of you are in trouble right now. You don't know how to get out of it. Some of you are in pain. You're in emotional pain. Some of you are sick in your body. And you've been to the doctors, and that's great. Keep doing that. But you've never brought it to God. But followers do that. They don't always have to think about it. They just do it. Perhaps some of you are confused right now. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to make the right decision. You don't know where to go next in your life. You've never really brought it to Jesus. Well, I want to give you an opportunity in this space that we've got to bring that to Him. Because He's not one of many for you, really, in your heart. He's one and only. So while we just close our eyes for a minute, if there's anybody here and you say, yep, one of those things that you've said is me and you want to bring it to Jesus right now, I want you just to put your hand up and I want to pray for you. Thanks. Thanks. It may be that you haven't done it for ages. You've never brought it to Him for a long time. That's it. You just keep doing it all around this place. You're not responding to me. You're responding to Him. You're saying, Lord, this is me saying, I want to bring this to you. So Father, I want to thank you for all of these people in this room that are just responding to you. Some of them believe everything about you. Some of them don't know what to believe. Some of them are in the middle of that. But God, there's something in our hearts that said, Lord, if you're real, then God, we want to follow you and we want to come to you. And many people in this room, you really are their one and only, but it's just been a while since they've reconnected. So Father, I really pray that right now in these moments that we've got, you will reconnect with them by your spirit and you will help them in that area of their life. In Jesus' name, amen.